listening to the Living Room North Living Room North Living Room North podcast. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Allie, and I love this place because I'm actually a small group leader. Where are my girls? Where are you guys? Right there, right there. They don't sit together, but that's okay. We still love each other, I promise. Um, And I love being a small group leader here because I am such a firm believer that when you go to college, you either either really go really far with your faith or it kind of takes you some step backs. So I am really grateful to be here and be a part of a place that just helps college students follow after Jesus and worship him. And I love it. I love being here. I love that I get to talk to you guys tonight. And we are in part two of a series called Guaranteed Ways to Ruin Your Life. And when Ryan got up here last week and talked about it, I was like, Ryan, that is a little bit dramatic. Like that is a very dramatic title series. Um, but he, he started talking about how there really are some guaranteed ways for your life to get ruined. And he talked about the predictable outcomes. Right, so one predictable outcome, an example, is when you don't eat breakfast and you just go through your day and you forget to eat lunch and you become super hangry. Does anybody get hangry or is that just me? Just me, I'm okay, over there, you guys are my people. We shouldn't hang out when we don't eat because multiple hangry people, it's a terrible disaster. Another predictable outcome is if you sit in class and you have that view of that guy or that girl and you can kind of see them and they're in front of the teacher, you're not gonna pay attention. That is a predictable outcome. And another one is if you eat Chick-fil-A three times a day, has anyone ever done that? Yes, my people, my people. Over here, all my people, you will be the happiest person in the world. When I eat Chick-fil-A three times a day, I'm like, my life is going so well right now. That is a predictable outcome. And Ryan last week talked about pride. And I loved how he talked about pride and how pride really is kind of the underlier of a lot of our sins and a lot of the stuff we struggle with. Pride is kind of that thing that, that keeps that going in that direction and And tonight, I want to talk to you guys about another guaranteed way for your life to get ruined. But this one is actually a game. Do we have any gamers? Does anyone like games? You? Just you? Like board games or video games? Both? What is, shout out your favorite board game right now. Ready, go. Wow. Monopoly? No, I can't do Monopoly at all. Okay, yeah. I did honestly couldn't understand anything that you guys said, and I kind of am disappointed about it because I love, I love, love, love games. But this game is a guaranteed way to ruin your life, and it's this. It's the comparison game. Ooh, I heard that. I know. Because you you, you, you made that reaction because you know exactly what this is. The comparison game is when you look at your life, you look at what you have, you look at where you're going, and you compare it to the people around you. And this starts at a really young age. I started noticing comparison when I was in middle school. Um, I was homeschooled for elementary school, so whoop. And then I went in, there you are, went into private school, and we wore uniforms. So we couldn't compare our clothing, but I kid you not, you're going to think I'm kidding when I tell you this, but I'm really not. Girls in the sixth grade would compare each other's ponytails. I'm serious. So, so for some reason, the trend in the sixth grade was ponytails. Like every girl wore a ponytail. If you didn't, you were not cool. And there was this one girl, and her name was Bailey, and I don't know how she did it, guys. Her ponytail was flawless. It was like 
perfectly placed in the back of her head, not too high, not too low. But the best part, though, was the hair that would fall out around the face. It, like, perfectly framed her face. I don't know how she did it. And so I went into middle school, and I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get a great ponytail. Um, I, this is terrible. I did the hard part in the middle. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know. Gosh, you feel terrible for me. Pulled it back really, really tight. And then I would pull out hair to, to try and frame my face. But the problem was my hair was all the same length. So I would pull it out, and it would be really long and stringy. And I looked so hard to find a picture to bring to you guys. And I just think my mom didn't take any because she knew that that was going to be regret. And she was right, so I don't have anything to show you. But that's when I realized I was comparing my life to people. And then you go to high school, and it, it, it gets a little bit more, and you compare your friend group or you compare your clothes. But then you get to college, and there's something about you know, making your own decisions, being out on your own, whatever that looks like for you, where comparison can kind of start to eat away at your life a little bit. When I went to college, I changed majors like 900 times. It was terrible. But all of my roommates like knew exactly what they wanted to do. And so they, they were, some of them were going nursing, some of them were going teaching, and I felt like they had their life totally together and I had no idea what I wanted to do. And then when I went to college, one of the girls I met immediately who had started dating her boyfriend in the sixth grade, like, remember me in the sixth grade ponytail? No, boy, absolutely not. She started dating her boyfriend in the sixth grade, and they were still going strong, and they were planning on getting married by the time that they graduated from college. And I was like, what? Like, your life and your life and all these people, their lives are going in such a great direction, and, and mine, I don't know, it just seems to be falling flat. And college is where I realized that Comparison can really take a toll. And here's the thing about the comparison game. Everybody plays, and everyone loses. Everyone plays, and everyone loses. Because think about it. No matter how awesome you are, no matter how great and wonderful you are, which you are all great and wonderful, there's going to be someone out there who's better than you. There's going to be someone out there who's more successful than you. There's going to be someone who gets a better grade. There's going to be someone who it feels like they're going farther in life or they have that relationship or they're friends with those people or whatever it is, you're going to lose eventually. And so there's no winning the comparison game. And, and it's an actual problem. And, and I can't talk about comparison without talking about social media. We know that. We, we know that social media has become a platform of comparison because you can scroll and you can swipe and you can like and you can comment and you can do all these things. But basically what you're doing is you're looking at other people's lives, what they've chosen to put out into the world, and you're comparing it to your actual life. We, we compare real versus real. See what, real like real life versus real like the highlight reel? Yeah, that's what I did there. Thought I would clarify just in case. Real versus real, and that's not fair. And every single time, our real life will not measure up to everyone else's highlight reel. And that's not news for most of us. Most of us know that because we've experienced it, because we've felt it, and because we know that as social media has gained, so has anxiety, so has depression, so has suicide. Having this outlet to compare and compare and compare is bad for us, and it's bad for society, and there are statistics to prove it. And a couple of things that happen 
when you're constantly comparing yourself is number one, you'll grow envious. Envy, jealousy, looking at people and wishing you had what they had. Looking at that guy or girl and, and thinking that they're better. And, and it leads you to believe that you're not blank enough. You're not something enough. You're not smart enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not active enough. You're not athletic enough. One of those things, and it leads to some intense insecurity. Comparing yourself, being jealous, growing envious can lead to some really intense insecurity. And I don't know about you guys, but when I'm insecure, I make some dumb decisions. When I'm insecure, I will do things that secure Ali would never do. I can't tell you how many relationships I've run to, toxic relationships to make me feel better because I was feeling insecure, because I was feeling jealous, because I was comparing myself. And maybe for some of you that looks different, maybe for some of you when you're feeling insecure, you turn to drinking to just numb it. Or you turn to something to just numb it. Or maybe for some of you, you turn, you turn to partying, you turn to relationships. I don't know what you turn to, but when we're insecure, we often make pretty bad decisions. And another thing that being jealous leads to is a lack of gratitude. When you're constantly looking at people, when you're constantly thinking that you don't have what they have, it's hard to see what you do have. It's hard to see the gifts and talents that you have. It's hard to see the relationships that you have. It's hard to see the things that are really going for you because you're too busy looking at the people around you. And then lastly, if you are a follower of Jesus, falling into jealousy leads to a lack of trusting God. Because when you're jealous, when you're saying, I should have that or I need that or I want that, you're basically looking at God and saying, hey, you messed up. You messed up in making me like this. You messed up in not giving me this. You gave her that and you haven't given me that. He's like that and I want to be like that. And you messed up by not making me like that. And that is a lack of trust in God. I think you might disagree with me and that's fine. But I truly believe that you cannot be fully envious of someone while simultaneously fully trusting God with your future. I don't think that that's possible. I don't think that you can be so consumed with wanting what someone else has and still be like, yeah, God, I trust you. I think that's impossible. Another thing, you might fall into envy, but another thing is you might believe you're superior to others. This is the whole other side of this, which is falls into pride, what Ryan talked about last week. If you weren't here last week, you need to listen to it because it was so good. But believing you're superior that leads to judgment, that leads to broken relationship, that, that leads, to, leads to elevating yourself above people and ultimately pushing people down. And that, I don't know about you, but when people make me feel small, that is not good for our relationship. I run the other direction. But these are two things, these are two ways that comparison can ultimately ruin your life. And if you don't believe me, there's a guy named Solomon who wrote some of the Old Testament, and he had it all, guys. He was the richest king, and he, we, we believe he was the wisest man in the world, and he had hundreds of wives. I'm not saying that, like, that's okay. I'm just stating a fact. But this guy wrote this. He said, a heart of peace gives life to the bones, but envy rots the bones. Or gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. I can read, I promise. But envy rots the bones, and you felt that. 
You know, when, when you're so consumed with comparison and you're so consumed with jealousy, things rot inside of you. There's bitterness, your relationships are rotting. It's so true. And I kind of want to go up to King Solomon and be like, who are you talking about? Like, you have all the money, you have all the intelligence, you have literally all the wives. Like, who are you jealous of? What are you doing? But that really just goes to show that everybody plays the comparison game and literally everybody, even a king who had everything, still loses. So what do we do? I'm up here literally like I don't like, like comparison has consumed my life in so many areas because this is a game that we all play. But there's a passage in Hebrews that I want to look at with you guys tonight because I think it gives some insight and something we can do. So fun fact, the book of Hebrews, we don't know who wrote it. Scholars don't know who wrote it. Some people think Paul wrote it. He wrote a lot of other letters. I kind of think a woman wrote it, but we can talk about that later. But the author says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, right before this, the author goes through David and Solomon and all of these great people of faith who really fought for faith. And so he's saying, because we have all of them, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. I love this passage and I could probably talk to you guys about it for like 90 years and we're not going to, but I like it because it sets up a picture, right? It sets up a picture of a race and how I like to view it is that each one of us has a single racetrack in front of us. And God has designed a specific track for everyone. Every person in this room has a specific purpose, a specific path, a specific reason that they're on this earth, and it's just ours. And we were created exactly how God wanted us to be in order to run this race most effectively. So I picture we all, we all have this racetrack and there's people lined up and there's people to your left and people to your right and all of it. And at the end, you see Jesus and Jesus is saying, hey, fix your eyes on me. Don't look to your left. Don't look to your right. Don't look at the people running ahead or the people lagging behind or the people whose their race looks better than yours or theirs look harder or easier. Don't compare races. Don't compare runners. Fix your eyes on me because I am how you're going to run your race most effectively. I love it, and I love, they, he goes back, we're moving backwards in this, run the race marked out for you, but even further back, he says, let us throw off everything that hinders, and it also says, and the sin that so easily entangles, which is so interesting to me, because that says a couple of things. It means, number one, you need to throw off the sin, because that's going to keep you from running your race effectively, but there are also things that aren't inherently sin that are holding you back from running your race. Because it says, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. So what is that other stuff? The sin is obvious, you know, the pride and the lust and all of those things. But what are the other things that are holding us back from running our race? I think one of them's comparison. But I also think that those things are specific to every single one of us which is hard for me as a person on the stage to tell you what you need to do because I think our battle with comparison and the comparison game that we're all playing is different for everybody. 
I think fixing your eyes on Jesus, yes, there are some universal things that we can all do, but individually, our stories and what we're going through, we're going to have to do some individual heart work for this. And so what I want to do over the next few minutes, I have three questions. And I'm going to go through them, and I want you, if you can, to write them down, type them in on your phone. For some of these questions, you're going to immediately know the answers. They're going to pop into your head, and you're going to be like, okay, that's wild. Or for some of you, you might need to talk about it in your small group, or for some of you, you might need to go sit and just think about them. But I want to go through them because I think processing these questions together are going to help us beat the comparison game by fixing our eyes on Jesus, by understanding we all have a specific grace that we were specifically designed to run and looking to our left and looking to our right and comparing is only going to trip us up. So the first question is this, how do you spend your time? Do you spend it scrolling or do you spend it learning about the God who calls you a son or a daughter? Do you spend it with people who make you feel like you need to strive, who make you feel like you need to earn? Or do you spend your time with people who remind you that you're amazing? Do you spend your time trying and running yourself ragged because you're trying to prove something, you're trying to make the grade, you're trying to woo that person into liking you? Or do you spend your time trusting that there's peace and trusting that you're just supposed to be walking your own race? I think for me, I've noticed that when I'm doing a lot more scrolling than spending time with God, or I wake up in the morning and I immediately grab my phone and open Instagram, my day, I spend a lot more of my day insecure. Rather than if I wake up in the morning, have time, spend it with God, pour the truth over myself, I'm like, okay, you know, I know who I am. I know who God is. I know that he's created some sort of path for me. Do I know what it is? No. But I know that if I fix my eyes on Jesus, I can't lose. So how do you spend your time? The second question is this, what is motivating you? This is hard because this is different for every single one of us, but maybe for some of you, you have that parent and they are so proud of your sibling because of whatever reason. And so you spend your time trying to strive and earn and earn their affection by, by comparing yourself to your sibling and trying to prove something. Being motivated is not a bad thing. Being motivated is a great thing. But it's important to know what your motivation is. I think for Christians, I fall into this. This is something I definitely struggle with. Comparing how like Christian-y you are to your other Christian friends, that sounds ridiculous coming out of my mouth, but that is a real thing for me. My motivation sometimes is not pure, even though it has to do with God. So what is your motivation? For me specifically, um, I'm in ministry. I want to be on a stage. I want to speak. This is getting real, real, y'all, so don't tweet any of this. Or you can. Who tweets? I don't know why I said that. Anyway, I often compare myself, I get nervous when I get vulnerable, so, so sorry. Good thing I have a microphone. I often compare myself to Sadie Robertson, right? She spoke a passion, she's amazing, she has written books, she's younger than me, she's married, and I'm like, well, you're so cool and you're younger and what happened? And I often compare myself specifically to her, and if I compare myself to her, I'm going to come out on the bottom every single time. But... What's important is I'm learning to compare myself to myself. So thinking about myself a year ago and, and listening to my talks then and comparing now, I'm like, okay, 
I've grown. Like, I'm doing okay. I'm not doing terrible. If I compare myself to that speaker or Christine Kane, God bless Christine Kane, are those people, I'm going to come out on the bottom. But if I'm comparing myself to where I've been and where I am, and then I look where I'm going, that's a pretty good motivation because I'm growing and I'm moving, but I'm not bringing others down in the process or I'm not feeling insecure in the process because I'm able to see how I'm growing. And then the third question, before we put it up on the screen, this is a really painful question, so everyone buckle up. Okay, third question. Who do you secretly hope will fail? Yikes, yikes. Who do you secretly hope will fail? No one, Allie. We love Jesus. We're perfect. We don't want anyone to fail. No, no. This is such an interesting question because more often than not, the people we want to fail are the people who are really close to us. You know, I love Taylor Swift, and I don't want her to fail. She's better than me, and if I compared myself to her, I would lose every single time, but I don't want her to fail because she's Taylor Swift. I often compare myself to my close friends, to my family, and that's hard because no relationship can stand under the pressure of someone wanting the other person to fail. That is how we find broken relationships. That's how you lose friends, by constantly comparing yourself and secretly hoping that that person is going to fail. When I was in college, I interned with a girl, and I think she was an angel. She was perfect. She went into college. She got in her major. That was very hard. She graduated early. She was one of those girls who dated a guy in high school and was engaged by junior year. And we were interns together, and people were always comparing us. And if I was honest, guys, I so badly wanted her to fail. Because if she failed, that meant that I looked good. And as I was being her friend, I realized that there was something growing in between us, and I realized it was all me. It was my bitterness, it was my comparison, it was my jealousy, and I had to do something so uncomfortable, I had to sit down and apologize to her. It's really awkward to apologize to someone when they don't know that you need to apologize to them. It's very awkward. But I literally was like, hey, I've kind of been hoping that you would fail, and I'm sorry. You have it all together, I'm floundering, and I feel like you're going places and I'm not, and and I need to apologize for you for the bitterness that I've harbored against you. And then I had to learn how to celebrate her. I had to learn that when she would, something good would happen to her, instead of being bitter, I had to go up to her, tell her great job, and learn how to celebrate people that you secretly want to fail. And so what I want to do for the next few minutes is kind of give you guys some space because this was a lot, comparison is a lot, we all struggle with it, and so what I want to do for the next few minutes is we're going to play some music for a couple minutes, and I want you to get before God, or get with yourself, or whatever you feel like you need to do, and just surrender some stuff. Maybe you need to be really honest with yourself, maybe you need to be really honest with God, I don't know what you need, but I want to give you some space to do it. And whatever that looks like for you, if you want to go to the back and get on your knees, if you just want to bow your head and open your hands, if you just want to sit there with your eyes open and do nothing, that's also totally cool. But I want at some point for you to ask God to help you with this because I could be up here and give you the best talk that you've ever heard about comparison, but I can't do anything for you. Only God can help you with this. 
But when God comes in and renews your heart, and if you ask him for help, he's going to help you with this. So for the next few minutes, I want you to just spend time processing, being honest, and asking God to help you with this game of comparison. And then I'm going to come up and I'm going to pray us out. Dear God, we are honestly so helpless without you. God, we can't fight this fight without you coming in and showing us where we need to apologize, the truth that we need to start believing about ourselves. God, so I pray for every single person in this room, God, I pray that you would enter into this and you would say, hey, you are loved, you are chosen, you are enough for the purpose and the plans that I have for you. Lord, I pray that every single one of us would walk away knowing who you say we are and being able to walk in confidence in that so that we're not looking to the left, we're not looking to the right, but we're fixing our eyes on Jesus and running the race that he has set before us. God, we love you. We're grateful for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.